Hello and welcome to Mayo Clinic Talks, the opioid edition. I'm Tracy McRae and this is the first of an eight-episode series on the opioid crisis brought to you by Mayo Clinic. With me today is Dr. Helena Gazelka, an anesthesiologist boarded in pain and palliative medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. It's very nice to meet you, Dr. Gazelka. Nice to meet you, Tracy. All right, so first of all, let's get down to the basics. What is an opioid and why do physicians prescribe them? Well, opioids are a class of prescription drugs that are used to treat moderate to severe pain. The common types that most people are familiar with include oxycodone, hydrocodone, morphine, hydromorphone, and methadone. Fentanyl is another one of the opioids. It's a synthetic opioid that's many times more powerful uh, than the others and typically used for severe pain, such as advanced cancer care, although there are patients with chronic pain who use fentanyl. Fentanyl is much in the news lately, and so that's why I gave it special mention. Why is it that it seems like we've only started hearing about opioids in the last 10 to 15 years, 20 years? Is that how long they've been around? No, opioids are thousands of years old, really, and they've been used since nearly the beginning of time to treat pain. Uh, the opium poppy with the derivative morphine and heroin are what people are most familiar with, or opium itself. Uh, but I think they've become to attention in the last years because of the um, emphasis placed on uh, pain management for patients, the right of patients to have appropriate pain management when they're uh, ill or having surgery um, or are hospitalized. And so I think that's why it's come to attention. And then with the abuse of opioids, we've uh, particularly been hearing more about them in the news. And what do physicians use opioids for? We use them typically for managing pain. So acute pain, which is pain from an injury or after a surgery for a brief period of time. We usually consider that to be less than 45 to 90 days or chronic pain. Um, also, they're used widely in palliative medicine, end of life care for cancer care. What's the difference between an opioid and an opiate? I hear both terms in the news. Yes, people throw those terms around, but an opiate is a very specific term for drugs that are derived from the opium poppy, such as morphine, codeine, and heroin. Opioids are inclusive of the opiates, so those derived naturally, and the synthetically produced medications like fentanyl, methadone, oxycodone, hydromorphone, etc. And so then what's a narcotic? Are both opiates, opioids, are, are all of those narcotics, are all narcotics opioids? Not all narcotics are opioids, but all opioids are narcotics, okay. I guess is one way to look at it. But a narcotic really is used to refer to um, drugs or other substances that affect mood or behavior and are sold for non-medical purposes. Usually in a, it, it's implying an illegal uh, practice. You mentioned when we were getting started, and certainly we hear it in the news almost every day now, about the opioid epidemic. How bad is it? It's incredible. This has really uh, become a real issue in the United States. In about 2012, 259 million prescriptions were written for opioids. That's enough for every American to have their own bottle of pills. Wow. And since that time, um, there's been a lot of change. The Surgeon General in 2016 reported that 20 million Americans suffer from addiction, and more than six out of 10 drug overdoses involve an opioid. And that's on the uptick, obviously. Yes, it's, it's amazing. This has really increased since um, in, in the 10 years from 1999 to 2010, there have been an increase in prescription overdose deaths by 400%, particularly in women, but also in other populations as well. Uh, and what about overdoses? 
Between 2000 and 2015, more than a half a million Americans died from drug overdose, and 91 Americans die each day now from opioid overdose. And despite the increase in deaths, and in despite the incredible increase in prescriptions being provided by providers, Americans have not reported any improvement or change in the amount of pain that they experience. So these prescriptions are contributing uh, other than to pain management, obviously. So how did we get here? How did this, over the last years, decade, balloon up to the epidemic proportions that it is? Well, I think this has been a topic that's been under much scrutiny and much evaluated by members of the medical community. But in the early 2000s, really, is when the drug epidemic began. The American Pain Society at that time adopted the idea that pain is the fifth vital sign. There was a lot of push by the drug companies that um, opioids were not addictive. Uh, we know that they are very addictive and anyone can become addicted. And there was a lot of stress on patients uh, having rights to have their pain managed. Well, and part of that was that there was criticism that pain wasn't being addressed and something that needed to be done about that. Is that right? That's true. That led to the introduction of like press gainy scores, emphasizing pain management and patient satisfaction, as well as the uh, CMS HCAP surveys, which uh, included questions on pain management when patients left the hospital. And in fact, hospital reimbursement was based partly on that. Those questions have now been removed. And it started, it was okay to talk about the, to talk about your pain too. I think so. I think it became more socially acceptable to be on these medications, to experience pain and to discuss it. Then there are always those who don't follow the rules. And so there were a lot of unregulated prescribing practices, some very bad doctors out there who um, were actually um, prescribing way outside of the bounds of what would be acceptable. And one of the big problems is that Patients often become addicted from prescription opioids, but when they can't afford those any longer, they often turn to illicit drugs such as heroin. So where do all the prescription drugs that end up on the street come from? Well, some of the drugs that are would be prescription medications are, in other words, are legal opioid medications in the United States do come from outside of the country. But many are actually prescriptions that were provided to a patient and then are being diverted or misused. Um, about 50% of patients who obtain um, these prescriptions illeg illegally are getting them from friends or relatives for free. Some of them are buying them from their friend or relative. And I think one of the most notable statistics is that about 80% of patients who go on to use heroin started by using prescription medications. Wow. Well, we want to focus this podcast series on prescribing of opioids for pain management, not for palliative and end-of-life or active cancer care, like you previously mentioned. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you determine whether a patient is a good candidate for opioid therapy? I think that's one of the riskiest things that I do in my practice. I actually put a great deal of thought in my pain practice into whether a patient should have chronic opioid therapy. Um, a thorough examination is an absolute must and documented in the patient medical record. Appropriate imaging should be obtained if that's necessary and appropriate to the, to the diagnosis. But I think one of the most important um, things to keep in mind is that there needs to be an actual diagnosis. So things like chronic abdominal pain or chronic joint pain 
pain or headaches are not definitive diagnoses and they should not be used uh, to provide chronic uh, medications to patients. Another thing that I'd like to add, Tracy, is that after a patient has been determined to be a candidate for chronic opioid therapy, there are a number of steps that should be undertaken before uh, this therapy is uh, begun. Some of this will be addressed in a future podcast. But important is that not only the physical exam and the imaging be documented, but also that uh, prior therapies be documented in the patient's medical record, that the prescription drug monitoring system be queried uh, with the results documented in the chart, that the patient be assessed for risk of addictive behavior, risk of anxiety, depression, and comorbid psychiatric disorder, and uh, risk of uh, polysubstance abuse. Those are all important things to document in the clinic note when you're considering chronic therapy. What kind of imaging are you talking about? So I'm often talking about plain x-rays may be sufficient for some patients who have a significant um, who have a significant defect. However, usually it's a CT scan or an MRI. So if we're talking about spine or joint pain, it would be uh, an MRI of the spine or joints, etc. What about alternative treatments to that? Yes, I think those should be exhausted prior to considering opioid therapy. Uh, the WHO analgesic ladder, as we know, the World Health Organization discusses using acetaminophen, anti-inflammatories, and non-pharmacologic treatments before you consider the use of opioids. Also, more advanced therapies may benefit the patient. So I see a lot of referrals in the pain clinic for advanced interventions, and a referral to a pain specialist should be considered if that would be appropriate for that patient prior to opioids. We've been talking about the opioid epidemic with Dr. Helena Gazelka. She's an anesthesiologist boarded in pain and palliative medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Thanks for your time, Dr. Gazelka. Thank you very much, Tracy. Remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with a friend. Healthcare professionals looking to claim CME credit for this podcast can go to ce.mayo.edu slash opioid PC and register. That's ce.mayo.edu slash opioid PC.